It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk, talk radio. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. On the morning of a big day for democracy in this country as 80 Tory MPs prepare to vote against their own Prime Minister and his plans to introduce vaccine passports. Boris Johnson is facing his biggest mutiny ever and there could be worse to come. So Roger Gale, MP for North Thanet, has already thrown down the gauntlet and threatened a leadership challenge if the Tories manage to lose the North Shropshire by-election on Thursday. He says it's not just a matter for the party anymore, it's now a matter for the country. Well, I'll be cheering him on, uh, quite frankly, if he can manage to muster some kind of campaign to launch a leadership challenge, because I think Boris Johnson needs to know that we are not happy with the way he is stewarding the country, that we are not happy with the way he is stewarding this whole COVID crisis, and we are not happy uh, with the way that he's playing fast and loose with people's freedoms. Up first this morning, we need to take stock of what is actually going on inside the NHS. Yesterday, after a call to arms for people to get their booster jabs, the website crashed, and people were waiting in queues for five hours. Why on earth they were want to do that though it's a bit of a puzzlement to me if you're somebody that waited for five hours to get a booster jab i want to hear from you i want you to tell me why you think that's a good idea meantime it would seem the rest of the nhs has been put into mothballs yet again already gp surgeries are being told not to have any face-to-face appointments until the new year and routine cancer checks are going by the wayside as well so yet another medical time bomb is being created by the covid obsessed secretary of state for health i'll be asking dr renee hunderkamp this morning just where all this is going and why our government continues to crack down on freedom while producing no data to show what the scientific basis for any of it actually is. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we're speaking to Laura Dodsworth with her take on why we've suddenly moved into a new era of COVID compliance. It's now all about boosters and halting something that appears to be unstoppable. Surely they should be considering another way. Surely to heavens. Henry Hill from Conservative Home will also tell us why he thinks Boris Johnson is at a very important crossroads in his leadership and indeed his career. Kevin O'Sullivan will be dropping in as well, we'll discuss Dominic Raab and his British Bill of Rights, which is designed to make it easier to deport foreign criminals and illegal migrants. Does anybody really believe, though, that it will actually work? And as the hospitality business counts the cost of these new restrictions, we'll be chatting to pub owners and restaurant operators with news from their cancelled Christmas parties. And as ever, of course, we need to hear from you. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? And what are you being told? You tell us and we can tell everybody else. 0344 499 1000 is the number. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. 
the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, time to say a very good morning to Dr. Renee Hunderkamp, GP medical writer, of course, as well. Renee, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Well, I say very well indeed, but I'm not really very well at all. It's sort of uh, it's reaching peak kind of um, just murder, really. I mean, you wake up every morning and think, what are they going to do today? You know, when I watch people queuing for five hours to get boosters, I kind of despair about the state of the human race, really. I mean, I'm all for people wanting to get boosters, and that's great if they want to. But would you really queue up five hours for one? I know. I find this really, you know, interesting that we've actually reached a point where people are so scared by the story that they're being told that they will queue for five and seven hours. But what worries me more, Mike, is that we've still got 25% of our care home residents not having had a booster. Mm. And if we're going to give boosters, surely our priority should be to give it to the people who are most likely to die. And that isn't healthy under 30 year olds. And yet I am seeing under 30 healthy people who have not only had COVID, but they've had three boosters. And yet the rest of the world, the developing world, places like South Africa and the rest of Africa don't have vaccines. You know, we're constantly accused of being selfish for not wearing masks and not doing this and not doing that. Are we not being selfish as a nation by not looking around the world and having a more global view on this? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Because unfortunately, we keep hearing from the government that, you know, well, the thing is, we haven't really got the data yet to be able to judge whether this is dangerous. It might be much more dangerous than we know. But they have got some data. They just keep ignoring it, don't they? Well, I think they have got some data and there's lots of good data coming out of South Africa. And let us not forget that while South Africa does have a much, much younger cohort of people than we do, all of Africa does, the average age in Africa, I think, is about 20. So, yes, of course, they have an advantage there. They also don't have vaccines like we do. Mm. We're on to our fourth vaccine. So we are in a far, far better place than any of those countries. And yet when we listen to those countries and the chief medical officer there, they are looking at us like we're bonkers. Mm. and saying what are you doing this is a mild disease and I think it's time for us to step back and say look we've done everything we can you know we need to live with this virus like Chris Whitty says we've all had most of us have had two vaccines and actually there is data coming out of South Africa today that says the Pfizer vaccine is still 70% effective against hospitalization and serious disease and 30% against infection so why are we concerned about being infected if it isn't going to harm us. Mm. Well, that's what I wonder about as well, because you're a doctor, uh, you'll see patients on a regular basis. I mean, is there a sense that this particular variant is now getting to more people so that more people are possibly becoming infected with this version of COVID, but actually they're not feeling very good, they're not feeling very nice, they're not feeling very well, but they're not in any great danger? Well, we're certainly seeing in London COVID um, is rife and we are seeing lots and lots of cases. I haven't seen anyone from my practice hospitalised in the last few weeks. In fact, across the pandemic, I haven't seen that many people hospitalised because when you look at the data, being hospitalised is actually really, really slim as a chance. What I have seen though, Mike, and this is what upsets me, is every single person I see, be they 18 or 80, feels that if they get COVID, they will die. And actually, that's the complete opposite Mm. of what's likely to happen if they get COVID. Right. Because hardly anybody dies. I mean, that's the one point I've been trying to make all the way through this for two years, practically, that, you know, 99.9% of people uh, who get COVID survive it, don't they? 
they do. But that stat is actually, you know, that's not the right way to look at it. Because actually, if you break it down across the ages, you know, if you're 30, you've got a 99.9% chance of surviving COVID. But if you're 75, 80, 90, or you have some serious comorbidities, then your chances of dying of COVID probably go up to about 10%. Mm. So it's very different depending on your age, which is why I've always supported that what we should have done from the start is identify those people who are most likely to die. Because let's face it, as a doctor, what we want is to stop people dying and then we should have focused our efforts on them put all of our money and everything into protecting those people and allowing the healthy young people very unlikely to die um in fact as as likely to die as flu if you're 30 and mm. healthy as you are of covid um then you know let them get on with their lives and stopping all this restriction which has done so much harm so much harm in terms of other diseases being ignored treatments not being able to be accessed mental health going through the floor children losing education the list is endless yes and i know that you've been in touch with people uh, who have been telling you what they've received from their gps uh, including messages like this practices have been asked to stand down all non-urgent work please do not phone the surgery unless you have an urgent need we will need to cancel some book appointments to enable us to focus on the government's covid booster vaccination target i mean it seems like a sort of obsessive um you know boyfriend or girlfriend that you've got they can only do one thing at a time it's like they can't do anything else why do they have to put gp surgeries on hold effectively for everybody else and anything else that needs to be done I don't know, Mike, and this really worries me because I really do think we are almost back to the beginning. It's like Groundhog Day. Mm. And my concern at the beginning was always going to be those people who couldn't access healthcare, who were going to get sicker. And certainly my friends working at the front line now are seeing people presenting in A&E with much, much more advanced disease than they would have had if they had been brave enough to come forward at the beginning of this when they first got their symptoms and that's absolutely tragic i think the long-term harm from making people scared of the nhs or making people believe that they were doing the right thing to protect the nhs which is not their job by the way um where it's going to live with us for decades yes exactly right and as far as the um the problems in the nhs in general are concerned they will continue to mount up won't they because now we've gone back to the kind of covid health service we're now going to have more people not screened for cancer we're going to have more cancer uh, situations ignored and, and and not dealt with quickly enough we're going to have even more waiting times increased for people than there are already millions and millions of people waiting for stuff you know when is the department of health going to work out that this is not the way forward I don't know, Mike, but if you look at everything that's going on, none of this seems to be based in science. I mean, we've got them being absolutely terrified by SAGE again and their predictions, none of which have ever come true. You know, to be told that 75,000 people will die from this variant, which is all based on Delta. If you actually look at the small print in, in what Sage have said, they're basing this on the lethality ratio of Delta, for which we have no evidence. In fact, we have evidence to the contrary mm. that it isn't that. We also have many more vaccines, many more boosters. So they're, they're going with these fear tactics. They're going with vaccine passports because it will pass today, obviously, because Labour have decided they're part of the government. And, you know, there's no evidence for vaccine passports. In fact, if you look at what the CDC said yesterday, 
yesterday. They looked at 42 people with Omicron and they were all fully vaccinated and a third of them had actually had boosters. So what does a vaccine passport tell us? It tells us somebody's had a needle in their arm. It doesn't tell us they're safe. It doesn't tell us they haven't got COVID and it doesn't tell us they're not going to spread it. Mm. And it says now that they, I mean, I hear more and more uh, from government ministers, they're calling it a COVID pass rather than a COVID passport. I'm not quite sure what the difference is. You? I'm not sure. And I did notice that language change this morning when I was silly enough to listen to Radio 4, actually, Mike. I'm Steady. sorry. I know. Listen, I'll forgive I you know. just this once. Don't do, don't do it again. Um, <laughs> it depressed me quite a lot listening to Radio 4 this morning because they also pushed Ed Davey really hard on these vaccine passports. But what they kept saying was, but surely, Ed, we've, we've seen a study from Oxford today that says that if you put vaccine passports in, it convinces young people to have a vaccine. This is the complete anathema mm. to proper consent for vaccine that's in the government guidance it says that people must not be coerced if they are the consent is not valid so what are we doing it really is bizarre isn't it and jamie jenkins i think you retweeted this today covid cases up 40 41 percent week on week in scotland up nine percent in england and scotland has a plan b that mps in england are voting on to control covid so um, we're following what they did in Scotland, uh, where currently um, they're probably looking at maybe five times the number of cases that we've got. It's just bizarre, isn't it? I mean, if you actually have a think in mind, surely you sit back and think, hang on, none of this makes any sense. You know, a 12 year old could put a line through this and say, no, nope, that's not logical. Mm. That's not logical. None of it makes sense. So you then are left thinking, well, why are they doing this? Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything particularly, um, you know, sinister about it. I just think that they can't let it go. I think they've got themselves into this kind of cul-de-sac and they don't really know how to get out. And the only way that they can stay where they are and tread water, if you like, is to continue on uh, with this mad idea that everybody has to get vaccinated. It's already Sajid Javid is making noises to say that, you know, next year fully vaccinated will not be two. It will be three or possibly four. You know, and they keep moving and shifting everything, don't they? They do. And you look at Israel, who are now on to number four, and people who have three vaccines are no longer considered fully vaccinated. And I find it really, really sad. Not because I'm saying to people don't get vaccinated, because I've always said if you're vulnerable, you're at risk, or you want to have a vaccine, then absolutely you should. But you should do it because that's what you want to do. Not because you're being bullied and coerced, or life is being taken away from you as sort of the carrot being dangled out in front to make you have it. This is not medicine. It really isn't. It's not the way that we give medicines to anyone. And it shouldn't be the way we give medicines to anyone. Mm. And we shouldn't be dividing society by what medication you decide to take. And from the point of view of herd immunity that we we sort of hear about from time to time, but then it gets forgotten. uh, And for what we know uh, of antibody testing and for what we know of how many people in this country have got or have had COVID uh, and or have had a jab, um, at some point, surely we have to say, well, we've now reached sort of peak saturation now, haven't we? Yes. And I mean, I think actually, as I've said at the right at the beginning of this, if Omicron is as mild as the South Africans are telling us, telling us it is, it could be the Christmas gift that we've all been waiting mm. for. It could be the variant that comes along, goes through everybody who hasn't had um, 
COVID gives us immunity because we know that infection actually gives you the best immunity that there is. And we reach herd immunity really quickly because it does appear to be very transmissible. And then the pandemic is over. We have an endemic coronavirus, which is like a cold. Mm. And that's the best position we could be in. The question then becomes, well, do we then dismantle everything, stop all of these boosters? Because why do we need to be boosted against a cold? Yeah, well, that's a very good point. And of course, the collateral damage uh, in our schools will continue to be felt. I've got a, a text here from Jeremy who says, good morning. He said, I received an email from school yesterday advising that pupils have the correct internet medium to undertake, <coughs> excuse me, to under, undertake online learning in the new year in the event of further restrictions. Terrifying. I don't want to depress you, but my daughter was actually given her slip with her sign on to Zoom two weeks ago. And I was told very carefully to, you know, not discard it and to keep it. I don't even know where it is. I threw it away because you know what, Mike, my daughter is three years old. She goes to nursery to play with toys and that's what she's going to do. She's not going to be on Zoom. But more worrying is the older children who go to school to be educated. And we know already that we have damaged the educational chances of these children beyond repair, that it will affect their life chances so much that it will breed more in health because poverty from not having good life chances breeds ill health. So we are damaging our health for this particular infection forever. It really is quite an extraordinary state of affairs. Stay with us, Renee, if you can. We're going to take a short break. Uh, we're talking to Dr. Renee Hunderkamp, uh, who's got plenty to say about what is going on out there uh, in the world of boosters, in the world of uh, COVID, in the world of Omicron. It is really getting to the point where now uh, we need to find out precisely what the government's plans are and what their evidence is for what those plans are supposed to be. This is Talk Radio. <laughs> Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're talking to Dr. Renee Hunderkamp, GP, medical writer, of course, as well. Renee, I've got an interesting one here from Ed in Windermere. He says, hi, Mike, is there not a risk that these constant boosters will make us vaccine resistant, as we are told the overuse of antibiotics is doing? I mean, is there an issue with that? Because, I mean, what we seem to be being told is that the first two jabs are basically worn off. And so anybody who did get them uh, now needs to get a third one and possibly a fourth one. And I mean, I don't know how long that goes on for. Does that have an effect on your kind of immune system? I think the answer to that is we don't know. I don't think I've seen any evidence for it working in the same way as antibiotic resistance, which is a very different um, thing and in the way that it goes on. What we are in danger of seeing, of course, is um, vaccine and variants that can escape the vaccine because if you vaccinate everybody quickly in a pandemic um, you've then got a virus where the only one that will survive is the one that can get get around the mm. vaccine because I guess is what we're seeing with Omicron in a way although viruses do tend to do what Omicron is doing. Mm. Yeah I mean it, te- it seems to be finding its way into places where it can find its way into, if you know what I mean, which is why I said at the start, you know, the trouble with government policy on trying to prevent a, vac- uh, prevent a virus is that they're trying to stop an unstoppable, movable force, aren't they? I think they are, and I think we saw that with Flatten the Curve. All you do is you just push it further down the road. And, you know, I understand that they're probably saying to themselves, well, look, let's push it further down the road by getting boosters into arms so that we minimise hospitalisations. But we've got no real evidence, actually, that that is going to happen. And we've got no evidence that the NHS is going to be overwhelmed by COVID. It's certainly not overwhelmed by COVID at the moment. Mm. 5% of beds are COVID patients. Um, It is overwhelmed, by the way, Mike, by 10,000 elderly patients who are completely well, who can't be discharged from hospital because they have nowhere to go. Mm. And part of the problem with that 
that is not just the decimation of the care system we've seen for years. It's also that lots of care workers have been forced to leave their jobs because of the no jab, no job rule. So we don't have carers. Otherwise, we'd have another 10,000 beds in the NHS that we could free up. Mm. And that would seem to be uh, the sensible way to go, because every time we come around to winter and every year we have the same problem, we have the same issue. The people that run the NHS tell us that we are once again in a crisis. We're at a very busy time of year. You know, we're at full capacity. I just don't believe them anymore because we can't always be at full capacity. Otherwise, there would be an overwhelming of the service. And that's never actually happened. No, so we've never been overwhelmed. I think we do come close every single winter without a shadow of a doubt. And there are lots of reasons for that. Lots of it are to do with the, you know, the the closure of beds. Beds have gone down every single year for 10 years. Obviously, with COVID now, we have to have more infection control in. So 5% of beds, although it isn't much, does make a difference because those are 5% of beds we would normally have. Mm. But what we don't have this year or last year, Mike, is flu. Flu has more or less vanished. So we don't have that burden. Um, I think the issue is now, of course, is that we're getting contacts of somebody who's positive with COVID have to isolate. Mm. And in some places, I've been told, 50% of staff on a ward are isolating at home, even though they've been vaccinated, even though they've probably had COVID. So, you know, lots of the problems being created now are because of the pandemic almost. Mm. No, I think that's absolutely true, because one of the reasons why there are shortages of staff, and there have been all the way through in this, uh, in this ridiculous situation, is because, as you say, some of the rules at the beginning meant that entire wards were sent home and they couldn't come into to, to the office and they couldn't come into the hospital. And, of course, we know that one of the places that you could be absolutely certain of catching COVID was inside a hospital ward. Yeah, absolutely. And we know that up to 40% of cases were actually caught in hospital. And of course, sadly, many of those people would have died because Mm. they were in hospital for things that were making them ill to start with. So that is absolutely tragic. But, you know, we need to we need to protect, obviously, our hospitals and keep staff in them. Mm. And as far as the doctors kind of mantra goes at the moment, it seems as though Sajid Javid wants all doctors to basically drop everything and, and spend their entire time shoving boosters into people's arms. I mean, surely there's a better way than that, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I think the better way is to actually get boosters into the arms of people who absolutely need them, the vulnerable people, the people who might die of COVID. And I think then we keep our other services open and we keep our GP seeing people. I mean, we don't do COVID vaccines at our GP practice, so we are carrying on as normal. It won't change our practice, but lots of practices do, and they are having to respond to the government's diktat. And I think that's because of this this absolute crazy let's get boosters into the arms of 18 year olds and above yeah and is it wrong do you think that the government are offering doctors money to do that because i think a lot of people look at that and go well it's a bit of an incentive that isn't it you know i'm not sure that it is wrong because if you actually set up a massive booster or any vaccine campaign in gp it takes staff it takes doctors you have to employ locums to actually cover the doctor's work so there are actually on costs of actually doing it so i'm not sure that people should see it as a bonus to actually giving vaccinations Mm, okay so i mean i guess from this point forward we just have to wait and see when the data starts to back up what it is the government's doing and they seem to be suggesting it's another two weeks away so it takes us pretty much up to christmas doesn't it Yeah, sadly, I feel that there's lots of political 
um, decisions being made here rather than scientific ones. Mm. Um, we know that if SAGE had their way, we'd be in lockdown now. We know that the government are actually battling on all fronts. And I think that they probably feel that if they impose a lockdown now, they'll just lose the people completely. So I fear that um, the cases will go up. And by the way, our testing has increased by about 13%, mm. but our positivity rates have actually stayed about the same at 10%. So we're finding more cases that would have been there anyway. And I think come come after Christmas, um, they will use those case numbers to actually lock us down. And I find that as a doctor absolutely tragic because I know that once we do that, things like domestic violence, child abuse, mental health issues, um, undiagnosed cancers will all go through the roof again. Mm. And for me, that is my reason for opposing any more restrictions. Yeah, it's not a price worth paying. Dr. Renee, thank you very much indeed. Renee Hunderkamp there, GP and medical writer, talking a great deal of common sense. Many of you saying, if only she was the Secretary of State for Health, well, it might make life a lot more straightforward, I have to say, if that was the case. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, one of the big stories of the day today, of course, is the vote later on in the House of Commons. A third of Tory backbenchers ready to rebel against Omicron Plan B. Uh, it looks as though this could be the biggest mutiny uh, that Boris Johnson has ever faced. It won't probably be enough to defeat the plan uh, and to defeat the bill, because obviously the Labour Party are all going to vote along with the government as well. Um, however, it could be a blow to Boris Johnson, because if it is as big as 80, and it's then followed up by a massive defeat in the uh, um, Shropshire by-election, North Shropshire by-election on Thursday. Uh, Sir Roger Gale MP has said that he may well challenge the leadership of the Tory party and he may not do it just for the sake of the party, but he may do it for the sake, he says, of the country. Let's talk now to Henry Hill, news editor of Conservative Home and find out what he makes of all of that that's going on in the background. Henry, very good morning to you. Good morning. It's a pretty difficult time for Boris Johnson. I mean, some might say he's brought it on himself, but uh, ever since the release of that video last week with Allegra Stratton, uh, the Christmas party that he said never happened, um, you know, he's running himself into a bit of a difficult place, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Absolutely. It's um, for people like me who've been watching scandals come and go for Boris Johnson. It's always been a slightly baffling question. What will it take mm. for this kind of thing to finally stick? And I think what it took was ITV footage, people being able to see it firsthand, not you or me or the newspapers telling them something had happened, but being able to see it for themselves. And especially on something as visceral as lockdown, because yeah. obviously, you know, everyone who did obey the rules last Christmas made very difficult decisions. They didn't see their relatives. They didn't see their family. They saw them missed goodbyes. And so seeing people not following the rules and even, you know, laughing about not following the rules, it really hits people, I think, in a, in a, in a, in a gut level. Yes. And that's why this has cut through so much. Yes, I think so. And as somebody pointed out to me that once there is actual um, sort of video footage, because it's moving footage that seems to grab people more than actual still pictures as well, um, that they've got something they can they can absolutely make a determination on. As you say, it's not like they're being told. They're actually seeing it with their own eyes. Yeah, no, precisely. This is this is it. Um so I think one of the worrying things for the government really is the fact that, one, this footage has been floating around for almost a year. Mm. Did they know it was there? You know, who's had it? Why did they really? Is it, you know, that someone simply forgot they had it and then was like, oh, hold on, maybe I can go and check those files? Yeah. Or did they wait to release it until the right moment? And I think the second question, and we've seen a few sort of suggestions in the press that this might come up, although nothing concrete yet. Do these people have anything else? Mm. You know, how much more footage is there of those sessions? Are there any more embarrassing revelations still to come out? 
Well, I've been told that there are definitely more uh, revelations to come out. Whether or not they come from that same source, I don't know. But certainly um, you would be amazed if there weren't more stories. And what I found quite remarkable, really, is that Keir Starmer made quite a good fist at <coughs> Prime Minister's questions last week, asked a lot of questions that Boris Johnson found difficult to answer, got an assurance from Boris Johnson that he was going to hand over all sorts of um, you know documentation to the police. The police then said they weren't interested. Um, and that seems to have ended there. I mean, Keir Starmer seems to have just given up. Yeah, I think ultimately the problem with any of these stories from the opposition's perspective is that if you're dependent on the police taking action, the police are operationally independent and it is it is entirely up to them. If, if Labour don't have a secondary attack line to pivot to at this mm. point, then that really is their fault. You, yes. know, you can't put all your eggs in the independent... It's the same with the government, when the government's like, oh, we'll, we'll hand it over to an independent inquiry or something. Like, fine, and that might go the way you want. But ultimately, you're not in control of how that turns out. Mm. So as a politician, you have to make sure that you've got every you've got every eventuality covered. Yes, because I think what Labour Party should have done uh, was to leave their uh, sort of a channel open so that if they said, all right, if the police are not interested, we are. And we would like to see the documentation that you would have given to the police if they were interested in seeing it, because it seems to me that it's all just run into hit the buffers time. Yeah, I think although I think, you know, bluntly, I think the government would have would have been quite capable of going, look, you know, we offered all of this to the police, the proper authorities, and they didn't want to see it. Mm. Um, we, we're not going to have it turned over to the opposition uh, to in order to turn it into a political football. So I, th I think Labour are in a slightly tricky position if the police decide not to take action, because that does implicitly it limits the seriousness of what went on, right? Yeah. Um, because otherwise they would surely have investigated. And it also limits Labour's moon, uh, room for manoeuvre to a degree. But I still think, you know, ultimately, this really does, if you look at the, if you look at the polling, this really does seem to have cut through with people. Boris Johnson's numbers are well down and consistently down. The Conservatives have lost their poll lead in several polls now. I think this is making a difference. So it's important that we don't overplay mm. the, the extent to which Sir Keir Starmer's messing this up, because ultimately this has had a demonstrable negative effect on the government and the Prime Minister. Yes. And is that, though, one which could run all the way to the next election, or is it just a mid-term kind of hiccup? if you like, for the Tories, because it is, you know, during by-election times, things can do some, you know, the polls can do some pretty weird things. It is something I I, I do caution the Conservatives about when they're, when they're too inclined to panic, because, you know, as, as you'll remember, in normal times, in, in, in you know, pre-COVID, pre-Brexit, it is entirely normal for a government to fall behind the opposition in the middle of a, in the middle of a parliament. You know, even mm. Margaret Thatcher did that, I think, before, before 1987. Um, we've had a very strange politics for a few years now, wherein because of the sort of hyperpolarization caused by Brexit and then the effect of the of the uh, pandemic, the Conservatives have just been ahead for a very, very long time. And so it's important that we don't necessarily overestimate the problem. But I do think the danger for the government, for, the, for Boris Johnson, is that Tory MPs, there's no ideological constituency for Boris Johnson. There's no group of Tory MPs who will rally around him through thick and thin for the sake of getting something done, right? Um, He's there because they think he's a winner. Hmm. And so I think if he comes through, he'll probably come through Christmas. Um, it's very, it's, it's effectively impossible for the Conservative Party to get rid of him before the new year. I suspect that in, in January, February, um, we'll either be in the middle of an Omicron wave or we, or we will have got through an Omicron wave and either of those really suits the Prime Minister. So I think the crunch point will be next spring, summer. Yes. Because if Boris Johnson hasn't got rid of, hasn't righted the ship by then, Tory MPs will be thinking, right, we're probably going to have a general election in autumn 2023. 
we need to have a new leader in post for about a year before then. Yeah. So we actually, if we are going to get rid of Boris, it has to be now. And so if there was to be a bad result on Thursday in Shropshire, and if Roger Gale was to try and launch some kind of leadership challenge, you don't think it would be this side of uh, New Year? I don't think, well, I don't think it would work. I mean, the, the problem is, of course, that Parliament goes on recess soon, mm. um, which actually, just as a matter of practicalities, makes it quite different for people to, to plot together, to get the letters into Sir Graham Brady and everything else. So yeah. I think that they've left it so late that mechanically it's effectively impossible to trigger a ballot before the new year. Right. Uh, and before the new year, even if the government loses North Shropshire, it, it will be a month ago. I mean, the, the government's already lost Cheshire and Amersham, one of the safest Tory seats in the country. You know, these things, they are exciting and they can be sort of seismic, but they're not necessarily the killer blow. It's all about timing. So I think, no, I think if they have one in January, February, I don't think it'll work. I think that if, uh, if there's going to be a successful challenge to Boris Johnson, it will be may june maybe july but then you're getting yeah. into summer recess the so other thing awesome. i found interesting this week is steve baker's um kind of um uh, into into interlocutory if you like uh, suggestion that he wants to try and bring back proper conservatism to the conservative party and he's gaining quite a lot of traction within uh, many places in the back benches where a lot of people are saying you know we really need to get the tory party back to being a tory party Yes, well, I think this is going to be one of the big problems with when, when there is a succession, and that's one of the reasons that we probably won't have one yet, because there is going to be a big battle potentially between people who want to try and reorient the Conservatives towards their what they kind of what they kind of have been since the 1980s uh, in various forms, and people who uh, want to double down on this realignment. They want they, they and, you know those are their argument will be we're a new party now. You know, we're winning in bits of the country that we haven't won in for more than 20 years. We've got a whole slate of new MPs. Now, it's important to remember that Red Wall MPs, contrary to some people's, you know, impressions, they aren't left wing, right? A lot of them actually do want this real conservatism that Steve Baker is talking about. So it's always more complicated than that. But I do think there's going to be a big ideological battle over whether you kind of stick with Boris Johnson's slightly bigger state, higher spending, levelling up conservatism, or you try and pivot back towards a conservatism that's aimed at, frankly, better off voters shoring up support in North in North Shropshire and Chesham and Amersham. And that's going to be a fascinating battle. It really is. And so from your point of view, if you were a betting man, would you say Boris Johnson does lead the Tories into the next election? At the moment, I would say the odds are that he won't lead them into the next election. I think he'll go next year. Yeah, that's what I think as well. Very good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Henry Hill, News Editor from Conservative Home. Uh, we were saying this last week, and I've been saying it for quite some time, that Boris Johnson does appear uh, to have shown us everything that he's got. He does appear uh, to have now found himself uh, in a place without a paddle, in a creek, if you know what I mean. Uh, I think people will start to desert him and leave him and make sure that he wallows in his own uh, mess, because in the end... If you can't be trusted to win, you will not be trusted to lead in the Conservative Party. And if he is going to become so unpopular that you can't guarantee that he would lead the Conservatives into the next election and win it, then they won't want him to lead them into it at all. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Very good morning, Laura. Good morning. How nice to see you. Thank you. Bringing my little ray of sunshine. You, are bringing, you, you are bringing a little ray of sunshine because I'm feeling a bit sort of clear today. I'm not feeling particularly um, happy, not feeling particularly upbeat, mm. not feeling particularly hopeful. And normally it's the other way around. Normally you're the one that's feeling a bit sort of down in the mouth. Oh, I, 
I I object strenuously. Do you? I always come in cheerful. Do you? Sometimes I leave miserable, Mike. Yeah, well, listen, <laughs> you're not the only one that says that to me. No. How I are mean, you anyway? I, yeah, I'm good. I mean, like you like you were saying, it's a really big day for democracy. Yeah. Um, you know, we have to understand which way this vote is going to go because Labour have proven themselves to be spineless yeah. idiots. Yeah. Um, we knew however, that, though, didn't we? you know, the thing is, you, you can't pin everything on this one day. This day is really important because there is such a huge backbench rebellion. Mm. But people have to realize you've got to dig deep for the long term. Yeah. But if there is, in fact, such a big rebellion, and if Sir Roger Gale is correct, and he's not everybody's favourite politician, but he's basically mm. said that if Shropshire is a big loss on Thursday to the Tories, 23,000 majority, if they lose that, and in addition to that, they've got 80 people, um, you know, voting against the government. That does cause a rift, I think. It does cause some kind of a seismic possible change in the way the Tory party needs to be run. And Roger Gale is basically saying that if that is the case, he will mount a leadership challenge, not necessarily by him, but he will start the process by which they want to replace Boris Johnson. And he said, not just for the good of the, the party, but for the good of the country. Mm. So I'm glad people are starting to have those kind of conversations. Good. Absolutely. Well, let's start off with a little chat about the state of politics, yes. shall we? I mean, I'm so pleased to see that there are about, there's about 80 backbench um, rebels mm. who are going to vote against the, the measures tonight, specifically on vaccine passports. Good, because I mean, they, what they've done is they've split the vote into masks, mm. vaccine passports, um, mandatory jabs for yeah. NHS workers and changes to whether you uh, test or self-isolate yeah. after travel. So, you know, they've, they've got like divide and conquer. They've, yeah. they've split it out rather than bundle it all up together as one way to deal with the rebellion. But still, we've got all these rebels. And thank goodness. And finally, I've been emailing my MP throughout. You know, he's, he's been pretty sensible mm. on it all, Chris Grayling. To my enormous relief and gratitude, he's he's on that list of MPs to vote against. I mean, some people could see this as political suicide. You know, it's 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 not the dumb thing, mm. is it? However, what they're showing is enormous integrity and courage, and that gives the rest of us mm. hope, doesn't it? Well, it does. That they're not all just singing from the same hymn sheet. I mean, the whips have apparently been out in force in the last couple of days, saying to any junior ministers, anyone who's in the government but not in a big way in the government, mm. that if they vote against the government they're going to have to resign their position so yes. they're getting quite heavy with people there is a very strong seam of discontent mm. um my last no my last substack but one was with a government insider who called me because he's read my book he's read my articles uh, in the telegraph and on substack and he wanted to confirm that some of my postulations were correct mm. i had said back in october that the winter plan was all about plan b yeah it's all about getting us to plan b and that masks are a way to soften us up for plan mm. b and he said yes you're right now he's on a he's um he's a, a senior figure on a covid task force and he's been in a couple of the key departments through this whole debacle right. and there's a real there's a real feeling of discontent um people don't like the way the quad are taking things no. i personally could not believe boris johnson's address to the nation on sunday that was hard to believe in any way shape did you form. watch it i did right but i couldn't watch it to the end actually because mm. it was so awful i mean i watched it almost to the end but i ended up switching it off i just thought i can't watch any more of this it's like, just embarrassingly awful it was embarrassing awful. and i'd like to give you and everybody some advice don't mm. watch it when they want you to mm. so for me there's a kind of a level of arrogance in saying i'm going to interrupt your tv viewing british nation yeah. there's no questions i'm right. just gonna i'm just gonna inter interrupt you it's a bit like the telescreen right. flipping 1984 but also i'm gonna pre-record it so that it doesn't dis doesn't sort of you know interrupt my dinner 
Right. And so we'll play it whenever <laughs> we want. So it's a good point. You know, he just records <clears> it because, I don't know, four or five o'clock in the afternoon, puts it out at eight. But something very important, if you want to read the news with a rational mind um, and be able to analyse it carefully, you have to do it at a time of your choosing, mm. okay? So here's one thing. Don't look at Twitter before breakfast. Don't read news all through the day. You pick your moments. Ideally, mm. do it when you're well-rested, when you're fed, a time of your choice. I thought I don't actually want Sunday at 8 p.m. to be listening to the Prime Minister. And frankly, when he says he's going to address the nation these days, I kind of recoil in horror. Yes. So I watched it the next day in the afternoon at a time of my choosing. It's a small thing, but what mm. it does is stop you from being a participant in the... We could call it an address or propaganda, and you become a spectator, yeah. an observer. So I watched it and I thought, this is interesting. He's telling us that it's an emergency, but it's not. But set aside the fact that it's not an emergency and do as he says. It was very odd. Mm. I just found it also, very... Also, just the use of the word emergency. I mean, I put out a tweet in the evening saying, is this emergency more important than the climate emergency? Uh, or, is, you know, or is it less important than the climate emergency? I'm not sure. You can't just call something an emergency. You know? Oh, well, they can. And they do. All but it the time. doesn't make it one. No, it doesn't. You know? No, it doesn't. And in fact, I mean, it's still early days. There's limited clinical evidence. And OK, the population of South Africa are younger. But it doesn't look like there's any emergency in South Africa. No. And yet, they want us to set that aside mm. because it could be. It could well, this be. is it. And they've now started to formulate public health policy on what might happen. I don't think anyone's ever done that before, have they? I don't know historically, but, you know, we're talking about potentially, according to the modelling, I mean, soothsaying, I mean, modelling, mm. 75,000 Omicron deaths by May, is it, by or, the spring? Or, or could it be 25,000, depending on which model you look at? Well, you know, none of the modelling, none of the worst case scenarios have ever come to fruition. No. And I think by now there must be quite a high level of cynicism among people. So that's Boris Johnson's address. And then there was Keir Starmer. Yeah. Did that you watch was even that? worse. Well, funnily enough, I was listening to it. I wasn't. I didn't have it on. I was. I was in the kitchen cooking, and so I was listening to it. Um, and I just thought, you know, I don't even. I, I did think about watching it because I thought, you know, if I'm going to be commenting on it, I might want to watch and see what he's wearing and see how he's behaving and all of that. But I just listened to it, and it meant nothing to me. I, I can. I can fully um, assure you that I listened to it without batting an eyelid it didn't mm. inspire me it didn't repulse me it just was like listening it was like having some sort of wet blanket run, you know run over you or something it actually made me angry mm. I, I mean i will say he looked like less of a state than boris johnson yes so well, boris know, looked dreadful on sunday very very ill um i mean i'm of course the job itself must be taxing one hopes um but no keir Starmer didn't look such a state but the, the words made me angry mm. how dare he say that they would vote for vaccine passports because it's their patriotic duty mm. i i don't know what's happened to labor so plan b will cost the economy 11 to 18 billion this isn't just a number that means mm. nothing these are people's jobs yeah. their livelihoods their businesses this decimates hospitality yeah. when scotland introduced vaccine passports the hospitality trade went down nearly 50 percent in the first week how dare mm. he say that that's patriotism it's not patriotism it's not at all. that's people losing their jobs also when he talks about supporting the nhs what about all the other businesses 
that people have? And what about all the other ways of life that people have? Why doesn't he want to support any of that? Is that unpatriotic? You know, this nonsense, this narrative about the NHS being the one and only business that we can support and mm. nothing else matters, nothing else comes above the NHS. What a lot of rubbish. I mean, I'm very happy for people who've got nice stories to tell me about how the NHS has been very good for them and has treated them terribly well, saved their lives. All of that is great. But, you know, we don't have to give them, like, special status like saints or something like that, do we? Well, I don't think so, no. And, you know, there's, like you say, there's, there were so many things that offer in his speech. You know, he was talking, how can Labour say it's for the many? Look, vaccine uptake is lower mm. among black and ethnic minority groups, the socially marginalised and the unemployed. That's a fact. Mm. So if you introduce vaccine passports, they will be discriminatory to the groups that Labour is supposed to care about and yeah. represent. So this patriotism is a load of nonsense. So he made me more angry because, frankly, it seemed fork-tongued. Yeah. Um, I just I think we need a major revolution, both outside the mainstream parties and within. So this, this Conservative rebellion isn't going to be enough to defeat the vote, but it's enough to really... Um, is it a warning shot, though, perhaps? It's, it's got to be. But it's hope because that's that's a sizable number of MPs who are willing to put their head above the parapet and say they'll put the British people and actually patriotism mm. above their career prospects and the whip. Yes. So that's impressive. I think so, because I was reading a story yesterday um, about the hospitality business. There's one particular um, hotel I've happened to know. It's Soho Sanctum in London. 50,000 quid they've lost overnight uh, with people just cancelling parties. And everybody that I know... Um, who runs a pub or runs a restaurant has already gone, well, everybody's just disappeared. Yeah. You know, the trains are empty. People are now working from home again. Um, people are frightened, it would seem. Yeah, and working from home is another nonsense. Look, about 75% of the population can't work from home. Mm. So sure, by all means, tell people to work from home if they can. But what that does is decimate city centres, mm. all the businesses that rely on people going to work in city centres. And it doesn't mean that other people aren't out in warehouses and shops and packing your goods and delivering them to your doors. No, no. It's an absolute nonsense. It's a laptop middle-class luxury to think you can work from home. It just means that a whole other set of society is going to be serving your needs while you're working from mm. home. And it's going to do very little to contain community transmission because the majority of people still have to go out and work anyway. Well, it's going to do nothing to, 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 to curtail that. And in the same way that putting those ridiculous restrictions on travel uh, mm. is not going to stop people bringing it back into the country. It's already here. You know, according to Boris Johnson, we already have a tidal wave of Omicron. So what was the point of putting pre-departure testing on people who travel? Mm. Which is the whole reason I wasn't able to go to New York because that was too much of a risk. And if they hadn't done that, I'd be going. You know, which is partly why I'm still pretty annoyed. Well, I don't blame you because really in all of these kind of political decisions and then backlashes between countries with travel restrictions, it's people like you that get caught in that crossfire, yeah. which means you can't see your family. And what's what's human life about yeah. if it's not about love, family and these kinds of values? I know. So, um, vaccine passports, the vote is today, it's a big day, I suspect they're going to go through, um, and I think we need to be really aware of the direction of travel. Mm. There is no evidence that vaccine passports will reduce transmission. The COVID task force documents released, um, is it back in October, it, it, 
even revealed that the government knows it will do very little to community transmission, mm. if anything at all. The Public Administration and Constitutional Affairs Committee found that the government couldn't provide scientific evidence. We've got real-world data now. Mm. Countries that have introduced vaccine passports haven't seen a dip in their cases. In fact, the opposite. Mm. Their cases per million have gone up in every country. Denmark just reintroduces their case per million, does this on the graph. Go and look at World in Data, everyone. It's there for everybody to yeah. see. Our government still can't put forward the scientific justification for it. The and Scottish they have government explained... haven't been able to put forward no, the, the Scottish government, benefit. Jamie Jenkins put a piece out this morning saying uh, 41% up the number of cases in Scotland. In England, 9% up. Well, guess yeah. what they've got in Scotland? Covid passports. But we don't have them. But they also haven't been very clear about when they're going to be introduced and where they're going to be introduced. It's not, you know, it's not entirely clear. It's a bit like, remember these stupid conversations that were had in Wales where they tried to get the health minister to explain what a nightclub was? And then we were, well, of course, um, a nightclub is a place where people go um, at night to dance. And you go, right, OK, so does there have to be a dance floor? Uh, not necessarily. What if there are, what are the, what if people are dancing in a place where there isn't a dance floor? Is that mm. a nightclub? You know, and you have these ridiculous questions that nobody can answer. Let's think of human society as being like a balloon. Mm. OK, if you squeeze it over here, if you go, right, no nightclubs, it, more air comes out over here. They'll mm. go to pubs. Yeah. Okay. So young people who can't go to nightclubs if they don't have a vaccine passport will go to pubs. Pubs will be busier. Yeah. Well, let's say you shut the pubs. They'll go to people's houses. Mm. They'll go to raves. Yeah. You cannot contain human nature indefinitely. No. It's a nonsense. Right. right. So there's no evidence, but they're going to push them through anyway. Now, let's make a note. Let's make a note of all the MPs that are saying to us right now, it's not a vaccine passport. It's a COVID pass. Yeah. Because you can still have a negative lateral flow test. Well, back in the summer, Italy introduced the Green Pass, which allowed you to either have um, recovery from COVID or the COVID vaccine or a negative lateral flow test. That's now removed mm. with the Super Green Pass. Right. They've expanded its use to many more venues public transport if you want to go to a communion or a, or a baptism or a funeral you need your green pass mm. you need it to work so you can just have the green pass for most forms of employment which means you can still take a lateral flow test to work okay but for some jobs you have to be vaccinated and they've expanded this super green pass to more venues so it's like a mission creep yeah so although their cases per million have gone up they haven't taken the sensible approach which is to withdraw vaccine passports and allow the economy and society to get back to normal no They've expanded the use of the Green Pass, even though it's not working. Yes. So a number of MPs have said, oh, we're not voting on vaccine passports. No, we're voting on COVID passes. Well, are we? Let's well, see what happens the to the lateral flow test provision. And let's see what happens to mm. the cost of it. Now, if you're somebody on the minimum wage and you don't want to be vaccinated, why should you bear the cost of lateral flow tests mm. indefinitely? That's what they've done in Italy. It's a very worrying direction of travel. Yeah, it really and, is. And they can't continue to operate like this, surely, to heavens. You can't just keep saying, well, as soon as there's a case, everybody has to take a test and everybody has to either self-isolate or go home or do something. You know, how about you just let... If it is, in fact, Omicron, as we suspect it is, something which is not going to kill very many people, mm. um, why not just let it go through the community and let people get it? Well, the theory is that because it's more transmissible, that hospitalisations and deaths will go up in volume just because it's more transmissible. Yes. However... Which might be true, but might not be true. A more positive way of looking at it, and I have to admit, this is not my lane, I don't know, but I have read it in, in major broadsheets mm. who are interviewing scientists, so it's not controversial to say this could be the beginning of the, the end game mm. for the virus because 
viruses tend to mutate to become less lethal and more transmissible. Right. And Omicron may be the signal that that's the direction now of the epidemic, which is what we'd hope for. The fact is we don't know yet. So bringing in all these emergency measures on the back of an emergency, which is not yet an emergency, is a worry. But there is another thing people need to be aware of. Okay. Okay. Which is that this booster programme has been described as potentially indefinite. Now, the vaccine passports are being voted on without an end date. We, we don't know when they'd come to an end. We don't know, we don't know mm. where the finish line is and we don't know what it's based upon. And that really shouldn't surprise anyone because they're being in, on, introduced on the basis of no evidence. So why would there be any evidence required for when they come to an end? Yeah. Why, is, why are the big mainstream broadcast journalists not asking at press briefings about when we'd stop vaccine passports? Mm. Goodness, well, because they all know. sit around because they all sit around accepting the status quo. They don't do what I used to do as a journalist, which is always question everything. They just kind of go along with it. But let's take a little break here. Uh, we are here, of course, with Lord Dodsworth. We're talking about vaccine passports, the big vote later on today, uh, which is likely to go through. We think, uh, unless some miracle happens and a bunch of Labour Party MPs suddenly become um, self congratulatory and actually realise they should do something for their constituents apart as opposed to themselves. But uh, we'll come back with more with Laura uh, after this on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are, of course, the home of common sense. There's not a lot of it to be had out there, but Laura Dodsworth is here uh, giving us bucket loads of it, as uh, as we would expect. Uh, you wanted to talk about the social care bill I did. while we're here. Yes, I did. Right, and because uh, it's an important one. Right, glasses on so I can read figures. Yeah. Because this is about the booster programme being indefinite. So we were just talking about the fact there's no finish line for the mm. vaccine passport. Why does this matter? Well, it's a pretty tyrannical measure to impose on the country. Yeah. How long will it last? The clue is in an article that's come out about the health and social care levy. So the health and social care levy, if you remember, was to raise £12 billion a year for the NHS and also for social care for the elderly. It's supposed to help us with our enormous waiting lists. Well, Although they've never actually explained how they're going to apply the money to the waiting list and therefore cure the waiting list, aren't they? Well, they're not going to be, Mike. No. They're not going. They're not going to be. They are diverting that into the booster programme. I see. Mm-hmm. Funny that. Yeah, it is funny. Now, this was a, this was a really big deal. Mm. Anyone who voted Conservative, who didn't like the fact that the Conservatives broke their manifesto pledge not to raise taxes, mm. needs to realise this is a permanent feature if the booster programme is indefinite. The Mail reported that it's understood the Treasury is drawing up plans to ensure all adults are jabbed at least every three to six months indefinitely. But that's not what the tax rise was for. No. It was supposed to be because of the waiting lists. And boosters are now being prioritised above normal NHS care. So that levy was to tackle NHS waiting Mm. lists and improve normal health care. Okay. But now we're in a situation where we're being told that GPs are going to prioritise boosters above routine health care. And this tax rise, which was supposed to be for normal health care, is going into the booster. So it's all about the boosters. Yes, and nobody has said that the booster is um, the be-all and end-all anyway, because if they tell us, for example, that the first two jabs weren't really any good for this new Omicron variant, uh, you now have to get a third one. Who's to say that in three months' time they're not going to go, do you know when we said get that booster, the third one? Well, you know what, that's no good either. So you better mm. get a fourth one, or maybe well, a fifth I... one. 
I have a strong suspicion that I can I can predict what Pfizer will be saying about the booster programme next year. But one of the leading scientists behind the Oxford uh, vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine, yeah. um, Dame Sarah Gilbert, has said she doesn't think most people need to be boosted. Just the elderly, people who are immunocompromised. Yes. She said everybody shouldn't be being boosted on on mass because mm. there's good evidence that immunity lasts. Well, and it would be find... better to send boosters to other countries. Yes, well, that's certainly been a, uh, an argument that's been made by a lot of people. I find it weird that the, the numbers change all over the place. I mean, some medics will say, oh, the thing is, you know, the first two jabs will only give you something like 40% coverage uh, against Omicron. And then you'll see something else and somebody says, no, no, it's more like 75%. Well, which is it? One of, you know, they can't both be true. Mm. And and it's very hard to get the actual facts out of anybody, isn't it? Well, the, this absolutely, we don't get the facts and you can't believe them because they change their mind mm. three weeks down the line anyway. But if you cared about the manifesto pledge being broken, wake up and take notice of this because yeah. what you were told it was being broken for wasn't true. Mm. That money's being used for something else. If you care about fair taxes, wake up to this because yeah. this is a regressive tax, mm. okay? Regardless of what you earn, everyone's paying a certain amount of national insurance. Yeah. So the most, um, you know, the, the people on lower incomes, marginalised people, they're paying the same tax as the wealthy for this booster programme. And the other thing is that um, if we did all this at the beginning to protect the NHS, okay, now we've got these enormous waiting lists, and instead of this health and social care levy being used to reduce the waiting list, it's going back into the boosters. Mm. It feels like we're in a never-ending cycle. And we're being told it's never-ending. We're being told the booster programme could be indefinite. So this vote today matters a lot. What we're really voting for, potentially is an indefinite booster yeah. programme that we're being taxed Which to the hilt Which we're being for. taxed to the hilt to pay for. Yeah. It feels a, a little bit more, I know this is going to be slightly controversial to say, but it feels a little bit more like a protection racket than mm. a public health policy. If we've got one of our own leading scientists saying that most people don't need to be boosted, it's, it's hard to know what the truth of that is and what we should be doing. But I am really concerned about the fact that we've already had the highest tax increase in Britain in 70 years, yeah. on top of all the other tax increases mm. that came in at the budget, and now we're being told it's indefinite. Yeah, and it's not for what they said it was going to be for in the first place. Yeah. So apart from lying uh, consistently and misleading consistently and taxing us consistently, um, are there any bad things the government's doing? I just think the lying or is is a really strong theme. Mm. You know, when when Nadim Zahawi said there were no plans to introduce a vaccine passport, the the government had given eight contracts. Yeah. So when certain MPs are saying now, oh, it's not a vaccine mm. passport, it's a COVID pass, why would we take that on face value mm. when almost nothing they've said on face value can be taken that no. way? We were told we were on an irreversible roadmap. It's not been irreversible. We were told we'd be crying freedom. We're just crying. It's true. Nothing's been nothing's been true so far. I mean, forget, it all started with three weeks, three weeks of lockdown to flatten the curve, yep. and here we are, nearly two years on. I know, it's amazing, incredible. Still, even though all of that was quite bad news, I still feel better having seen you. So thank ow, you very ow, much ow. indeed, Laura Dodsworth. <laughs> uh, always worth listening to, always worth watching, and of course, she'll be back next week. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let us, without further ado, go to Stephen McPartland, Conservative MP for Stevenage. Stephen, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, busy old day today, I know, so I appreciate the fact that you've uh, been able to spare some time for us. Um, tell us why you have decided to join the rebels and uh, vote against this. Um, so, I mean, I 
said initially that I don't think Plan B works. They're asking people to work from home, but um, then they can go to pubs, restaurants, nightclubs, theatres. And the reality is they're just softening us up for more restrictions. Mm. So um, I'm against um, COVID passports, as you know, domestically. And I just feel that um, they're going to announce more restrictions probably by the end of this weekend. And it's just not fair. The impact on people's physical health, their mental health, cancelled surgeries, cancelled diagnostics. I mean, this is this is not a zero-sum game. This is causing huge disruption to people's lives um, up and down this country. And we have to ask ourselves why. And we have to um, stand up and speak for our constituents. So I often stand up and speak for all those um, key workers, whether you're a postman, you um, work in a supermarket, you're a police officer, you work in the NHS, you're a teacher. All those people, um, even during the lockdowns, they were told to go out to work and it was OK. Um, they could um, go and be in this huge risk area because that's what um, needed to be done. And I just think, you know, there needs to be a voice for those people and I've always tried to be their voice. Mm, absolutely. And what are you hearing from your constituents, sir? Stephen in terms of what they believe to be the case because it's quite confusing isn't it it's difficult to know whether the country is in fact split down the middle whether there are some people uh, who want to see more restrictions hard to, hard to know how many of those people are in uh, in the minority um, I, I think there's always a silent majority and I think you know um, the plan B restrictions just don't seem to make any sense they don't really uh, make a difference they don't change very much um, you know it's um, you know, you, you've got to wear a mask in some areas and you've got these COVID passports, mandatory vaccination of NHS workers, even though over 90% have already had the vaccine. I think, you know, if they were going to say, um, oh, well, these restrictions will make this difference, I think the plan B, everybody just looks at them and thinks, well, it's not going to make any real difference. You're just mm. doing something so you can be seen to do something. And I think everyone's very suspicious that, you know, um, this will get through. And then as soon as Parliament rises on Thursday, they'll announce a whole load of new restrictions mm. at the weekend when we can't do anything to stop it. Yeah, and is that something that worries you in terms of the way that they've pushed this stuff through? You know, because one of the things I've noticed, and I'm sure you have as well, is over the last three or four weeks, they've announced things at weekends, which tends to suggest, at the very least, that they don't want to do it during the week in Parliament, or they don't want to have the scrutiny of having a press conference uh, during the week. And it seems to have become a thing where every weekend there's some new announcement. Yeah, I mean, I think this is why the rebellion so large today. I think um, you've got the Conservative MP standing up, and for a variety of different reasons amongst all of us, we are united in saying that, you know, we do not want more restrictions. We do not want you to pull us into mm. some kind of lockdown in name, in any other name um, over the Christmas period. So I think that we're trying to demonstrate that there is an anger in this. And I think, you know, one of the things we find incredibly frustrating is the Labour Party provide no opposition whatsoever. You know, you can't have good government without mm. strong opposition, and they're just never, ever on the field. They really seem to be completely spineless when it comes to this. And we've got Keir Starmer, who was calling last night uh, for vaccine passports because it's a patriotic thing to do, uh, when before he was quoted as saying that it was un-British. It can't be both, can it? Uh, no, I mean, he, I mean, unfortunately, the only thing he's interested in is politics and um, trying to use this to position 
themselves to say that you know um, they're an alternative government and uh, you cannot be an alternative government unless you're holding the government to account and they just completely opt out of it every single time I mean we find it incredibly frustrating because um, we know that no matter what the government comes forward with they will either abstain or vote with the government mm. and you know while the government knows that's going to go on you know um, you get 80 of us vote today but when the Labour Party joined the government there'll be 5,500 voting the other way. Yeah. So how can we be in it? So as as far as you guys are concerned, is it a, a case of sending a message to Boris Johnson? Yes, this is a very strong message, not just for Boris, but this is a strong message to the government and to um, all the people providing the advice that we will not tolerate um, another lockdown because of the actual impact on people's physical and mental health. The cancelled surgeries, the cancelled diagnostics, you know, the huge issues um, that people had when their children were kept out of school, um, you know, the loss of learning for those couple of years. In my constituency with the key workers, lots of my schools had over 50% of children in them all the way through. Mm. So you have you have people saying to teachers, oh, well, you know, um, you went in school, and they were like, yes, we were there every single day right throughout the pandemic. And you know, there's a lot of frustration. But the, the cancelled surgery, the cancelled diagnostics, you know, the mental health time bomb that's um, arisen because of lockdown, it's just unbelievable. It is intolerable on families. Well, it really is. And also, I mean, I find it incredible that the government can make these sort of statements about how they have to lock down um, uh, to make sure that people stay safe, that they have to get their booster jabs, that they have to queue up for five hours in some cases to wait for something to be given to them uh, for free, that the website crashes. You know, it seems like everything they're currently doing at the moment doesn't seem to work terribly well, but they also don't seem to take into account any of the collateral damage which is being caused yet again. I mean, we already know, for example, since the last time, um, Stephen, that, you know, of course the NHS will suffer if all you do is concentrate on COVID. You know, cancer uh, um, detection rates will, will, go, will go through the roof. We'll have more and more people waiting longer for operations. GP surgeries have already said that they can't see any patients until the new year. You know, these are not good developments. No, not at all. I mean, they're already saying before this latest one that, you know, waiting lists were going to go up to 10 to 15 million. So now that we're going to be getting rid of, um, you know, health checks on over 75, and the only way we can actually get the booster scheme to actually be delivered is um, to get the GPs out there because they did most of the vaccinations last mm. time. So that means they'll have to cancel lots of their routine work to be able to transform their clinics over. So that means lots and lots of other people just won't even be getting seen by the GPs, never mind going through the NHS system to get to specialists to get the referrals for the diagnostics. So as you say, you know, whether it's cancer, it's dementia, you know, whatever disease it is, whatever issue it is, it's huge, huge issues for each of those individuals. And if you're if you're those families, those individual families um, they're having to live with that. They're having to live with their loved one, not being able to see that specialist, not being able to see that doctor, not get that scan, not knowing whether that shadow could be something um, because um, the scan's now going to be in three months, whereas it would have used to have been in two, three weeks. Yeah, and that is a real, real problem. So, I mean, as far as the um, the, the, the Conservative Party in general is concerned now, are you saying, Stephen, that it's a kind of a split party, i.e., the, the likes of the 80 who are going to vote against these vaccine passports versus the rest who are just kind of towing the line because they believe in what the government's doing. 
No, 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 no. So um, the Tory party has always been a collection of Tory tribes, always has been, and we always come together because we believe in a variety of um, common causes. So I'm a very, um, what you would consider to be a left-wing conservative. I'm very interested in social issues. I do a lot of work on building safety, cladding. I've done stuff on um, welfare in the past. Mm. I'm very interested in the NHS, mental health, education. And then you've got people, that, um, you mentioned Steve Baker in your introduction. You know, he's uh, more right-wing. He's more interested in what you consider to be systems. And, um, you know, so I think it's you've got, on this, you've got people from every single wing of the party coming together, saying that no matter how you slice and dice this, you're affecting every single type of person in this country. Mm. So, so the breadth of the rebellion amongst the tribes within the Conservative Party shows the um, depth of feeling. Oh, I think so. And what about the Steve Baker business, though? Because I know that uh, uh, he's asking for the Conservative Party to become more conservative. Um, you've said you're a sort of left-wing conservative, but I, I challenge you to be more left-wing than Boris Johnson. Well, no, I mean, so my view is, you know, you have a lot of people, as you know, they will get up, they will go to work, and they will be just above um, the line whereby if you're below that, you will receive housing benefit and a variety of other issues. If you're above it, um, you won't receive anything. <clears throat> and, you know, we, we consider them to be um, working poor. They'll often, you know, hold down two or three jobs. So from my point of view, um, I always want to represent those people. They're getting up, they're trying to do the right thing. They're, tr they're, they're trying to deliver for people. They're trying to deliver for people and they're trying to um, be supporting their families. Mm. And then, you you know, you have other people who are more interested in, you know, the impact of inflation and systems. And, you know, inflation is an issue and systems are an issue. But you have to look at the impact you're having on those individual families. And I think they're the people that um, I try to represent, the people who are out there trying to do the right thing. And I think, you know, the Conservative Party represents because we have this breadth of tribes, we have this ability to go out there and um, reach in and support lots and lots of people. But, you know, being a conservative is not just about, you know, giving people a hand out. It's about providing a hand up and a safety net when they fall down. And, you know, I think some of the stuff that's gone on recently, it's made people wonder, um, you know, what's conservative about that policy. Mm. Now, you know, from a right wing point of view, that may be because they don't agree with it systemically. Um, from a more left wing point of view, it's, well, you know, how do these policies help those families? It's just loading costs onto them. So it's going to actually mean that their um, cost of living is going to go through the roof and they're going to have to struggle even more to get by. Right. And if, and if there is a big loss in Shropshire on Thursday, uh, as Sir Roger Gale says, there might then be some kind of leadership challenge. Would you back that? No, not at all. I support the Prime Minister. I think, you know, um, there's a lot of noise at the moment, but at the end of the day, he has tried to get out there and he did take the chance on the vaccinations. You know, it was this country that was throwing billions of pounds at the vaccinations and trying to support them. And he did do the vaccination rollout. He has demonstrated that he wants to support the NHS. He does want to get those jabs into people's arms. And I fully support that. And I just feel that, you know, um, I, I know Sir Roger very well. And um, I think, you know, I, I don't believe we'll lose um, North Shropshire on Thursday. I think it'll, um, um, we'll win it. But, you know, we're 11 and a half years into a Conservative government. You know, the Labour Party, if they were an alternative government, they should be taking that seat. And I think what you'll see on Thursday is they'll come in fair place. Yes, that could be very interesting indeed. And finally, Stephen, tonight, uh, what's the actual kind of um, setup? How does it all work? When will we know what the likely uh, 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 outcome is? 
Okay, so we're expecting votes between 6.30 and 7 o'clock. There'll be four votes. Um, Of the four votes, we're probably going to divide on three of them. So um, there's one vote which allows people um, to, uh, you know, test on a daily basis and not have to isolate. Mm. So we'll we'll support that um, because it's libertarian. And the other three votes, um, one's around masks, one's around COVID passports, one's around mandatory vaccination of NHS staff. Um, There'll be votes on those three. So you'll have the results between um, half seven and 8pm this evening. Okay. the, the, the The big rebellion will be on COVID passports. Yeah. That's what we'll be looking out for. Stephen, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Stephen McPartland, MP uh, for Stevenage there from the Tory party, saying why he believes Boris Johnson is still the right man for the job, but he's going to vote against vaccine passports tonight, along with possibly as many as 80 uh, other Tory MPs uh, in the biggest rebellion that has faced Boris Johnson since he became Prime Minister in 2019 after that election uh, in which he was given an 80-seat majority. So the 80-seat majority uh, could be wiped out, as it were, by the 80 seat um, vote against the Tory party but unfortunately you know the Labour party are going to vote with the government so we probably won't come to much but it's going to be a night of pretty big drama Talk radio across the UK online on DAB and on your smart speaker the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk radio If you enjoyed that be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app and if you have an opinion on the stories we cover we'd love to hear from you call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say Mid-morning with Mike Graham Talk Radio When you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.